On this episode of Stuff About Energy Production, we're going to answer some common customer questions. The first was about burner management systems and how to use compressed air with burner management systems in a safe way. Then we talk about the Gen 3 and the Gen 2 and some of the differences uh, between these two level controllers. Kimberly just came out with the Gen 3, and so how is it, uh, how is it operating in the field and what are some of the advantages? Then we talk about emissions, uh, a common conversation that um, customers are having and energy producers are, are thinking about how to reduce, limit, mitigate their emissions for a variety of reasons. And so we get into some of the options that Kimberly has to help you do that. And then finally, we wrap it up uh, talking about some of the ways you can maximize your investment in your control valves and production equipment. Uh, some of the little things you can do to make sure you are getting as much life out of your valves and equipment as possible. So I'm joined by Jeff and Will in this episode. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to Stuff About Energy Production. My name is Curtis. I'm here today with a couple of friends. We've got Will Swetnam. Will is an account manager in the Midcon area. And then we've got Jeff Port. Both of these guys have been on before. Jeff, you are a product manager over uh, the regulators, pilots, those kinds of things, right? Pilot-operated stuff is my jam. Pilot-operated stuff for Kim Ray. <laughs> uh, how do you guys feel about the new title, St- Stuff About Energy Production? We, work, <laughs> we workshopped it. It's not crazy different. <laughs> it's subtle, but, uh, but anyway, like I said, we'll get you guys some some shirt. And I think Caleb's even wanting to do some like merch giveaways kind of thing. So nice. you'll be seeing it. Uh, you'll be seeing it more across our, our YouTube channel and some of those things. Very cool. Um, we're getting ready to talk about burner management systems a little bit. Uh, so Jeff, I thought we'd just start with you best you can. That's kind of a broad term and people use it some yeah, different it ways, is. but when we think and talk about burner management systems, what, what are we talking about specifically? Um, we're using things like temperature controllers uh, in applications like separation, obviously. So whether it's a vertical or horizontal separator, um, line heater, et cetera, um, all of that kind of falls under this umbrella that we would refer to as the burner management system. And so really we're talking about what are we heating up and what parameters do we need to include for that? All right, perfect. So it, it could involve a combination of products um, some of which Kimray makes. Um, so we've got a picture here of a, uh, a vessel that has a burner valve on it, temperature controller, level controller, um, that we'll include in, in the show notes. But Will, would you mind walking just through, like, what are the products that are working on this this heater treater, I think it is? You obviously have your main burner. You have a burner valve that's responsible for flowing your fuel gas that is actually going to be burned in the burner. You have a pilot that's responsible for lighting that gas as it travels out of your burner orifice. You're going to have a pilot guard, which is essentially a a safety feature that if your pilot flame goes out, that pilot guard is going to sense that. If your pilot goes out, that's going to send a signal to your safety shutdown valve, which will essentially shut down the burner because it's not going to have any fuel to burn. You're going to have your, obviously your burner valve thermostat that's going to be the main control in controlling your temperature. You're also going to have a high temperature shutdown thermostat that if your temperature gets too high, if your main burner thermostat fails, you have something that if that burner is running away from itself, you've got a high temp shutdown that's going to also remove the signal from the burner valve that's going to stop the flow of fuel gas. 
then you also have a liquid level, a low liquid shutdown valve. It's essentially just a, a liquid level controller. You could also use a level switch. If your liquid level in the vessel gets too low, that obviously becomes dangerous. And so that will also shut off the signal to your burner valve, which will stop the flow of fuel gas. So, so everything that comes to the valve, uh, the burner valve itself, you've got um, temperature control, two temperature controllers? You can. You the, the high level most likely the, you'll have your main thermostat, which, which you have to have. And then your high temperature shutdown is a safety feature. So how many things are tubed to the burner valve? You're typically going to have more than one. So yeah, you've got your primary controller and then you have your high temp shutdown. Both of those are going to be connected to independent control valves typically. So we're going to circle back to those control valves uh, in a minute. Um, but one of the things that you say uh, in that is, is the importance of the redundancy, the importance of the safety. Mm -hmm. Always important in oil and gas operations, mm -hmm. but especially whenever we're dealing with um, burner management systems. Yeah, fire, yeah. right? There's mm -hmm. there's uh, burner mm -hmm. management, uh, burning the natural gas to heat the process elements and separate them. And so that's critical. And so we've, run, we've uh, encountered some situations um, that deal with safety as well that we're going to get into. Mm -hmm. So you have customers right now that are moving towards um, trying to lower their emissions, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. Setting emissions goals. And so this being a pneumatic process historically uses natural gas, uses supply gas, and intermittently, mm -hmm. in, in the vents case of, of, yeah. of uh, Kimray valves, vents to atmosphere. And so producers are looking at that going, okay, can we use other elements, other sources of power, whatever, to, uh, to actuate these, these mm -hmm. valves? We still got to, uh, obviously, are going to burn the gas, but can we use compressed air, for example, mm -hmm. to uh, signal to the valve uh, when to open and close? So in that situation, uh, Will, I think you had a customer recently that um, was asking you some, some good questions about it, and we wanted to make sure there's redundancy and, and um, two points of, of a failure and that kind of thing in, in this situation. Would you mind sharing some of that? Sure. Yeah. So before we were dealing with emissions and things like that, all of the fuel, the fuel gas in your instrument air was the same. It was the same stuff. It was the same gas. And so if it mixed, if you had a failure, if you had a diaphragm that failed or a packing that failed and those mixed, that obviously had to be repaired mm -hmm. in order to continue operating. Yeah. But now, since we're using compressed air as our instrument air, if we don't have two points of failure, then some of our customers are concerned that we're going to get mixture with O2, mm -hmm. oxygen, and natural gas. Mm -hmm. And then the only other thing that we need to have a fire is some form of spark. Some yeah. dude smoking a cigarette. Exactly. Yeah. Something. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so that is a safety concern. Right. And so we've, and that's that's the main question with this, mm -hmm. of what what do we recommend for for safety in an application like that? And at this point, the, the solution is going with a high-pressure control valve. Yep. The process gas and your, the signal area where yep. your signal is going to be completely yep. isolated. So most setups in this situation, historically, as far as like, you know, a lot of what, what you've encountered have been low pressure control valves mm -hmm. or what they're mm -hmm. using as Correct. the burner valve, right? Correct. And so, yep. um, Jeff, do you want to talk a little bit about why, if you're going to use compressed air, 
the high pressure control valve is a better, safer option in this application? Yeah, absolutely. I think any of our listeners who have been with us for a while may already be familiar with this concept to some degree because of the recent launch we had of the outside supply regulators as well. So the same general sort of impetus there is building in multiple points of uh, failure so that you know when you've potentially compromised a diaphragm or something like that and have a signal of that as opposed to it just going into uh, the opposing process stream. Uh, obviously, we're talking about natural gas and compressed air in this scenario. Mm -hmm. So with a low pressure control valve, you don't have that same kind of built-in feature. Um, if your O-ring fails, then that supply air is just going to start mixing into the gas that you're sending to the pilot. So when you use a high pressure control valve, we have that open yoke design. So those two are completely separated. So in this case, you're probably gonna be using a pressure to open scenario. You're just supplying that compressed air through, obviously the temperature controller, uh, which is giving the signal to the control valve to say when it needs to open or close. And if you were to have a failure, then that air is just going into the atmosphere. You're gonna have a signal of sorts to tell you that. And similarly, if the packing were to fail down in the valve itself, you're going to have a signal and know that it needs repair. But there's never any opportunity for those two things to mix within the process and go unseen. Yeah, very good. So we've got uh, options there as, as customers are looking at, again, lowering their emissions for uh, the regulators, even outside mm -hmm. of this, this project we're talking about. We don't want to mix the, the gas in the air, right? That's a, a huge yeah. safety uh, component. And so mm -hmm. that's why we're developing some of these products like the yep. back pressure with outside supply, pressure regulator with outside supply mm -hmm. um, that have this redundancy where even if a diaphragm fails, mm -hmm. we're not going to mix those mm -hmm. two elements. So, Will, were you able to, just to complete the story, were you able to communicate that out to co your customer and that satisfied their their needs yes for i mean for now um the the then the concern was cost because a high pressure control valve is going to have a higher cost than a low pressure control valve and so that's kind of that's where we're at yeah right now. yeah um one other option they would have i guess would be uh, going electric with that um, you could process it may or may not solve the the cost issue but if you're if emissions is the main concern mm -hmm. they're trying to uh, to mitigate those, then uh, we have the electric low pressure mm -hmm. control valve. Uh, mm -hmm. So to say it one more time, at the risk of redundancy, right? uh, if you are using a pneumatic burner management system and you have temperature controllers and a burner valve and you're using a low pressure burner valve, mm -hmm. low pressure control valve in that application, mm -hmm. and you want to move to compressed air mm -hmm. to, for your signal, we can't encourage you enough to move to using a high pressure control valve. That's uh, correct. As that burner valve. Yep. So, Will, you're you're working with customers regularly, driving around uh, Western, Eastern, Southern Oklahoma, all over the place. All over the place. Um, That's right. What are some of the the questions you're encountering? You've got a couple. Probably the most common one right now is around the new Gen Three. Probably the most common question as of late has been. What are the advantages? What are the differences between the Gen 2 and the Gen 3? 
What what sticks out to your customers as like, oh, well, that's that's a cool feature? How fast it is to set your liquid level, mm-hmm. the learning curve. It has a much has a s- smaller learning curve than the Gen two did, and we have a a calibration procedure, dry setting procedure, whatever you want to call it, that before you get liquid in the vessel, you calibrate it. And every time we've been able to do that, we've been in the sight glass. And so then it's just making micro adjustments to fine tune where you want to be. And so you're not having, which if you have a high producing vessel, it's usually not an issue because the vessel's constantly filling up. You've got constant tries to adjust it. But you put it on one of these vessels that you're not seeing fluid in the sight glass for, but for every 30 minutes or an hour, maybe. So you're getting a shot every 30 minutes or a shot every hour. Mm -hmm. And that makes for a long day if it takes six to 12 attempts to set your level. Um, I've sat on a location for 10 hours trying to set a liquid level because this thing was barely producing. It was just trickling in and we would make an adjustment. It would dump all the way out. Nope, that's not where we need to be. And we're sitting there waiting for 45 minutes for it to fill back up and try again. And, uh, that's a long day. So when you say dry calibrating, mm-hmm. you mean without liquid in the in the vessel? Correct. Kind of thing? Okay. Correct. How do you calibrate it if you don't know exactly what you're getting? It's super simple. Um, so after you thread it into the vessel, you can technically do it before you put it in the vessel, but you have to have, I would recommend going ahead and threading it into the vessel, install your displacer with blue Loctite on the fittings, thread it into the vessel, hook up your supply gas, your input supply, and then you just run your adjustment screw until your output signal. So for throttle, you're going to adjust your adjustment, your level adjustment screw until you get a 10-pound signal. Then you're going to back it all the way back down to zero. For snap, you're going to run it all the way up to a full 30-pound signal and then back down to zero, and you're, you're dry set. Hmm. And super simple That's to awesome. do. It's been really easy to use. Cool. For sure. Um, you could switch from snap to throttle with the Gen 2. Um, it actually had a switch, a selector knob on the pilot. This, you have to move your supply input supply to a different port, which technically that could be viewed as a con that it's a little bit less convenient compared to the selector knob, but it's really not a big deal to unthread it and move it. And the pro that you get by doing it that way, we have one less potential failure point that can leak. Um, How often is that done? Not very often. I mean, it's usually, you're going to, you know, before you install it, most likely whether you want to be in snap or throttle. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, if you do have some issues, they might switch it from throttle to snap or vice versa, but that's a five minute change and it's not a big deal. Is it usually an emergency level controller that's um, snap or no I'm wrong on that why would you want throttle over snap so throttle is going to maintain a tighter span probably the most common that I see in the field is guys like to run it in snap and that's mostly because of flow meters flow meters work better if they have a full pipe of fluid Um, they want to see a not necessarily a slug of fluid but they want to see a want to see it open, they want to see it closed. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in snap, I mean, throttle, you're going to just modulate 
your liquid level. Okay, awesome. What's the pilot then? There's something with the pilot. So the pilot's different. It's similar, but it's different. Is that um, easier to uh, do something with it? I would say it's probably easier to repair just by the way that it's put together, but I still wouldn't recommend repairing one of those pilots on a tailgate in the field in the wind because you're going to have little diaphragms, little filter screens, <clears throat> tiny springs. Um, you can repair them if you are so inclined to do so, but I would do it in a shop with good lighting and a clean table. But the nice thing about the pilot is it's just held in with three screws. And if you do have an issue with the pilot, if it's old or if it gets gummed up, super easy to change. Take those three screws out, pop the pilot out. It's essentially, it looks like a cartridge. Mm. And you can just pop it out, pop a new one back in, and you're good to go. And there's only one pilot. Only so one pilot. For so less inventory. Correct. Yeah, that's the, that's the pilot thing I was trying to remember. Do you know, Will, if you can purchase that cartridge set separately so people could have like a backup? I believe you can. I don't know what the part number is, but you should be able to do that. That's super convenient because some of the other liquid level controllers out there, you have to have a specific pilot. You have to have either a snap pilot or a throttle pilot. And if you need to change that for whatever reason, if you don't have one on your truck, you're going to have to call somebody at a supply store or run up the road and get it yourself. And so this, you could have a couple of spare pilots in your truck and it doesn't matter whether you're running in snap or throttle. It's yeah. the same one. That's awesome. Man. I really like it. I've liked it so far. I think it's done a great job. That's so good. You're selling it, so I hope you like it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, it's hard to sell stuff you don't believe in. Yeah. And that one's easy, man. You're a believer. I am a I'm a true believer. So You got any other questions, Will? More so just kind of broad brush stroke. Yeah. Throw them at Jeff. Topics. Um We've already talked about it a little bit, um, but probably the, another main question I get is, what are we doing for emissions? And there's not really a one-size-fits-all answer to that. That's constantly yeah. constantly changing. We're mm -hmm. seeing new things. So, is it, Are you yeah. seeing uh, different types of customers start to add? For sure. In other words, it's historic. In the last few years, it's been kind of majors asking about that. Mm -hmm. right? Majors, public, yeah. smaller and smaller mm -hmm. companies yeah. are starting to, you say that's a trend? They're or? starting to ask about it a little bit, but I, I still run into guys in the field that they're not doing anything yeah. for emissions. Yeah. And so, which could work out fine because from a regulatory standpoint, some of these things may or may not go through, but a lot of the majors, a lot of that's driven by investor preference the investors want to see the industry go this way and so yeah yeah we've talked a little bit about that before as well um, in terms of ESG goals and initiatives versus regulatory requirements in terms of what we're trying to do to help enable our customers to be successful no matter where the motivation is coming from is make sure that we have as many options and alternatives um, to products that have been historically um, venting, which wouldn't be allowed in many cases moving forward, whether it's, again, just really strict ESG goals or Quad BNC. So we've obviously come out recently with uh, outside supply regulators. Um, part of what we're talking about today is how you can use other products with compressed air, which is a great alternative. 
Um, we're also continually trying to grow our electric product offering. Um, a lot of people don't always think about um, mechanical options as well, but we have a pretty good variety mm-hmm. of mechanical options, um, even for uh, regulators. You know, we have the um, spring-loaded back pressure, which you know is very very simplistic. It's obviously doesn't have the same range of uh, operating pressures per se, but if you're in that sweet spot, super great solution for you. Exactly. So we've got a lot of things um, that we've already been able to put out there, but we're constantly looking at more options that we can uh, offer to our customers to, again, hopefully enable them to be successful regardless of where the pressure or motivation is coming from. The biggest thing we've been trying to push is if you have an issue, let us partner with you to figure it out. Um, get with your local Kimray guy or gal and give them a rundown on the application. And because, uh, I mean, we're kind of having to reinvent the wheel here with some of these applications because the production side, it's the control valve setups have been really similar. Mm-hmm. They've pretty much been the same for, for decades mm-hmm. at this point. Mm-hmm. And now we're having to change all of that. Mm-hmm. And so us being able to see that, check your application, see what you're working with, see the challenges that you're dealing with, um, that that enables us to come in and help. So we can't help if we don't know what the solution is That's or right. don't know what the issue is. Yep. Why do you think the uh, mechanical may be overlooked? It's a really good question, and obviously I can't speak for everybody. I know that um, for a while the hot topic was automation. So everybody was just talking about electric things. And so – Obviously, there's a pretty significant um, barrier to entry on that kind of stuff, but it feels like that's sort of the pinnacle solution. Either that or something that's just entirely self-contained. Obviously, we have the non-venting products as well. Um, And then more recently, we've been talking about um, outside supply, using compressed air, et cetera. Um, For whatever reason, I just don't hear mechanical come up as often. And I don't know if that's just because, you know, it's typically more specific to dump valves and, you know, again, more level control applications. Um, But there are some other areas in which you can see it. And some people could be using pneumatic dumps and they don't know that we offer a mechanical. So again, obviously pressure ranges, things like that do come into play. Um, So it's not always a one-to-one, but so I was going to ask, are there volume um, barriers or anything like that? We offer larger sizes and all that. We do. Uh, volume shouldn't be an issue, but I think Jeff hit the main the main points. Automation is going to be the one of the main ones. Um, your pressure rating, if you've got a 1440 rated vessel, you're not going to be able to run a mechanical valve okay. because the highest pressure rating we have is 500 pounds. Got it. And so, but we've, I mean, I've seen an uptick in the field guys going back to mechanical valves. Um, I would say the third point of why they weren't as popular before is convenience. So if you compare a mechanical setup to, let's say, a, a pneumatic dump valve with a with a Gen 3, you can adjust your liquid level if your specific gravities change, if your conditions change inside that vessel, you can adjust that from the outside with a Gen 3 or a similar controller. But if you have, let's say we're sensing interface on a mechanical dump valve, you have to weight that float. And if your specific gravities change, then you have to shut the well in or divert it. You've got to blow the vessel down, drain it down, 
remove the float, reweight it. So there is a convenience factor there. But the nice thing, and this kind of goes back to what we were talking to earlier, we try to have options for the full spectrum mm-hmm. of our customers. That's right. Um, it may be less convenient, but it's also less expensive, less parts, easier to work on. So there is kind of a trade-off there. I kind of break it down to customers that we kind of have three tiers of emission solutions. The first tier is going to be mechanical valves, simple valves. It's also going to be the least expensive tier of the bunch. I would say tier two is things like non-vent or outside supply conversions, running outside supply to run a valve, and then tier three I would call electric. So, and that's just going to increase in price and complexity. Yeah. So, if uh, tra- uh, piggyback on that a little bit, if I'm a customer that you're talking to, where would you place me, or what are the factors that would go into? I guess pressures mm-hmm. would be a big one in terms mm-hmm. of the mechanical. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, is there is there a trend like what type of customer is making what decision I, kind of thing? You know, Will can correct me, but I would say something that we've seen or something I would ask is what all do you want to achieve? Mm-hmm. Because obviously if you're just trying to achieve lower emissions or emissions compliance, there's a myriad of options. And obviously we're going to walk through what the specifics are per the application. In terms is that of how you say myriad? Sorry. <laughs> I hope so. You emphasize the ad. <laughs> I would say myriad. Oh, myriad of options. Okay. No, it's, maybe it's just preference. I don't know. Keep going. Sorry. Uh, No, you're good. Um, But obviously with automation or electric products, there's more advantage there to be had as well. There could be more value for you if you want things like data acquisition, um, remote control and visibility, et cetera. That's something I would probably try and ask a customer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you're just wanting to be, you know, non-venting, automation probably isn't the right first step for you. But if there's a lot more that you want to achieve, mm-hmm. you have a long-term vision mm-hmm. where that fits in and makes sense and provides you with more, then obviously we're going to help you achieve mm-hmm. that. Yeah, that's cool. And I mean, this is what makes it a difficult problem to tackle is that not everyone is going after this the same way. I mean, you've heard the old yeah. saying, there's more than one way to skin a cat. That's what they're doing here. Yeah. So, yeah, everybody reinvents the wheel in their own. And then you have a bunch of partially skinned cats. It's exactly. Messy, right? Right. Nobody wants to see that. Yeah. yeah. So it's a, it's a bad deal. Uh, a bad deal. All right. Well, let's go, Will. Um, with the cost of everything going up, I get questions kind of surrounding how can we help with things like that. And going back to we try to provide solutions to the spectrum of our customer. Um, so with that, we sell repair kits. So if you do your own repairs, um, that's going to be a less expensive option as far as keeping your valves going, but you obviously have to have your guys trained to do that. So there's your cost there. Um, the other option is we have our own repair shop that we do really good work. Um, Mm -hmm. we shoot for a, essentially a brand new valve for 60 to 70% of the cost of a new one. Um, and you're going to get a new one-year warranty with that as well. And so you're essentially getting a brand new valve for roughly 60 to 70% of the cost. Is that across all products? No, not necessarily because it doesn't make sense financially for everything. Um, and it's also going to depend on what needs to be repaired. Like for example, 
if a valve body is washed out, most likely that's probably not going to be a good candidate. And so, correct. Mm -hmm. So, and there, there's a give and take for all of these, these options. Mm -hmm. Um, like we said, with the repair kit, it's less expensive, but it's also more work, more time. And you have to have the guys that can do it with the repair shop. It's going to take some time because every valve is going to have to be torn down, inspected, and it may not be worth may not be worth repairing. If enough of it's damaged, then it's probably going to go to scrap. Yeah. Because um, at that point, it's better to buy a new one. And then yeah. the third option is buying a new one. Um, yeah, I would say in addition to that, it's obviously been a really really hot topic. I don't know anybody who hasn't been talking about inflation and all of the effects that we experienced. Um, and obviously we were 100% victim of the same. Um, we saw extremely volatile and higher than ever raw material costs, etc. Um, but one thing that I feel like has been really helpful in some conversations with people is trying to shift the focus from, and this is kind of to piggyback on what Will is emphasizing here, less about, um, the specific cost of the valve and more about the total cost of ownership for the company. So what can we do to help? Um, and maybe it is just more routine preventative maintenance or something like that. Maybe we could offload or offset some of those things to keep, um, the valves that they have running longer, et cetera. But also maybe it's investing in a little bit higher quality, product as well. We have a variety of different material types that we offer. And so in some cases it's worth investigating, Hey, maybe you should actually pay just a little bit more right now. And you're going to see a longer life and better ROI out of this specific product. So there's a lot of other ways where we can try and approach, um, those situations with people to again, hopefully broaden the picture, the scope of the issue as a whole and say, what can we do to approach this strategically and still have you come out on top? When we get to be a part of the process in the field, we get to see issues that customers have, then we can provide, we can offer a solution, just like Jeff is saying. Um, Because it, I mean, I still run into guys that they're having issues with, let's say, a high-pressure control valve, and it's either acting erratic, they're not controlling the way that they want to, and I'll start asking questions, they've got the wrong trim type in there and they weren't even aware that we have three different trim types Mm -hmm. in high pressure in stem guided high pressure control Mm -hmm. valves and so that's a super easy fix a lot of times that doesn't even come with a an increased cost yeah Mm -hmm. um it's going to be a similar cost just to change trim type Mm -hmm. um jeff touched on elastomers different materials Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. if you're having a a failure that's giving you a headache let us look at it you know Mm -hmm. So sizing, I mean, there's all kinds of things that can go into why you're not seeing the best performance or longevity out of your product. And so the sooner you can get us on the phone or maybe out on the site Mm -hmm. to be able to help with that, the better. For sure. Very good. Good word. We'll we'll end it there. Thank you for joining us. Thank you fellas for, for uh, giving us your time and we will share some of the resources and pictures and videos and things that were mentioned on this episode in today's show notes. We'll catch you next time on Stuff About Energy Production.